0: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the
2: HIV podcast. Each week, we focus on a person, historical event, or pop culture moment linked to HIV and explore the story of what actually happened. I'm Sarah. And I'm Jess. And between us, we've been working in the field of HIV for 40 years,
1: Our aim is to get as many people as possible HIV educated. Our mini-series focuses on people who recklessly transmit HIV, but we need some balance here because we don't want people to be fearful of those living with the virus. There are approximately 37 million HIV positive people in the world and we've featured less than 20. We don't want anyone to be under the illusion that recklessly or intentionally transmitting HIV is commonplace. It's not. HIV medication stops people living with the virus from passing it on to others. We call this being undetectable, and it's one of the reasons that HIV rates are falling and why it's so rare for people to be prosecuted. But when people do appear in court, the media attention often causes fear and stigma. So our series is about setting the record straight.
2: Hello, and hello, welcome to work? HIV Hope and Charity and Mini Crime <laughs> HIV Crime series.
1: Did you did you want to do it first? I got the feeling that you. <laughs> want to do it first. Yes. <laughs> well well done and well done for getting the whole title in I don't think
2: I said it correctly but you get the gist we're all about time this week
1: I like it I always you know we put the disclaimer at the start and it's quite long I'm just always wondering if people think that's the whole episode and then they turn (laughs) off
2: afterwards do you think they just are that's enough for me yeah now I don't know you need to hear anymore it's the same one every week what are they doing just to cover ourselves everyone no, I think it's important that we don't sensationalise this because we always say the press sensationalise everything. We don't want to be accused of doing the same.
1: No, that's definitely not what our aim is here. And if you have been listening to our little mini crime series, you'll be you'll know that it's educational, not sensationalist. So I hope you're yeah. still here. I hope you're listening. And what do we have? What are we exploring today?
2: Well, last week, good way to answer your question. What are we doing this week, Sarah? No, I want to talk about last week. <laughs> Last week, we looked at the earliest cases that were prosecuted or quashed, including the case of Feston Konzani, sentenced to 10 years for deliberately infecting three women. I'm determined to read out my intro. This week, we're looking at Mark James, the first gay man to be prosecuted for reckless transmission of HIV.
1: OK, well, I'm excited to hear about it, only because now obviously we've learned how how difficult it is to prosecute, how much evidence is required. It's not just something, as we know, just to recap, you can't just pop into a police station, accuse somebody, and then that's when a conviction happens. Absolutely not. It's a really long process. So I'm very interested, and I've actually never heard of this person.
2: Ooh, that's interesting you should say that, because when I was researching it, his case was featured in the press, but more so... Because he absconded and was sentenced in absence. That seems to be the focus of the attention rather than the charge against him.
1: Oh, I bet that's so infuriating for the victims.
2: Like you don't want that to be the focus of the case. That someone's just buggered off. Yeah. But we try and pull together what happened. So... I think the thing to point out is that details, they're a little sketchy. There are different accounts and different media, which led to him being brought to court. So I've gone for the most common themes with him. But you can't say for certain that it's definite facts because everything everything's slightly different. Those that did report, like I said, some were only interested in the fact that he'd done a runner. Some were reporting things that I can't be certain were true. So we've got a common theme, but I've got the gist of it. Enough to pull together a podcast episode. So that's good. OK, well, this is
1: good. That's a good start, I think, because if you were like, there yeah. wasn't enough and I'm just going to make it up, I'd
2: be like, no. Yeah. I'm just going to embellish it a bit. OK, so according to media reports that will cover us in April 2004, Mark was diagnosed with HIV and syphilis. He was living with a partner at the time. And whilst he chose to disclose the syphilis diagnosis to him, he didn't tell him he also had HIV carried on having unprotected sex. Shortly after this, Mark changed his story and he told his partner in actual fact he'd been diagnosed with shingles. I don't know why. Now his partner's quite responsible, goes and gets tested at the clinic and he's given the all clear. They continue having unprotected sex. No reason for them to do otherwise, or so the partner thought. I should point out, by the way, the partner's always kept his identity private. So that's why we're not referring to him by name. He'll just be known as the partner throughout this. A few months later, the partner falls ill and is admitted to hospital. An HIV test reveals he's positive and further tests pinpoint that he contracted between six days and six weeks previously. Partner knows he's only had sex with Mark during that time and therefore Mark's passed the virus on to him. But remember at this point he doesn't know how long Mark's had HIV himself. Now, we don't know the catalyst for what he did next, but he reported Mark to the police and Mark was charged with GBH. The case went to court in 2006 and he admitted guilt, although some reports suggest that he subsequently tried to change his plea on the basis that he'd received poor legal advice. He was due to return for sentencing a few weeks later, didn't show up. Okay, so he's gone to court. He said he's guilty. They said, Come back here and we're going to give you a sentence. And he's gone now. I'm off now. Okay, so he was never remanded then. He wasn't kept in in prison until the court date. He was just out and about. Okay. Yeah, he was out on bail. So we're going to use the pink news for this because they give an account of the sentence in court case. So they say, Isleworth Crown Court found the 47 year old guilty of previous bodily harm in April. He'd initially pleaded guilty on the advice of his barrister, but later was stopped from reversing it. After questioning scientific evidence further, Detective Constable Elliot Toms said that I love this quote because it sounds like Elliot Toms is in the Victorian era. He is a a callous individual who has behaved in an unfaithful way, gave us no indication as to his intent or motivation.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's true, isn't it? If you abscond and you're not there, there,
2: I guess there's not really closure. Well, you know, um, in the first episode, when uh, first episode when we talk about kind of is it reckless, is it intentional, and we're saying you yeah. have to have a motive to prove that it's intentional, and the police are saying we don't know, we've got no idea what his motivation was for doing this. So that's important. But saying he behaved in a faithful way, is...
1: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, it's very gentle, isn't it? Yes. But what an understatement.
2: Yeah. Right. Let's look at what the defence barrister says. Let's see, actually, if the defence would sway us in his favour. So the defence barrister's called Robert Ellison. And he said, if my client were here today, he would doubtless express his shock and dismay at being in a criminal court. I'm sure he would. If he ran away to the courtroom, his plan's gone horribly wrong. Uh, he went on to say his condition has now become so advanced He should be receiving a strict regime of treatment.
1: If this is what the barrister is saying, and if that's true, then he must have been positive for quite a long time.
2: Yeah. How is that a defence? But essentially what he's saying is he's now got HIV so badly he should be having treatment and not bothering with the tiny trivial matter of this court case.
1: Yeah, yeah, and now he's not getting treatment because you guys have scared him away, you meanies. That's, that's essentially what they're saying, isn't it? I, I just don't think it's a good defence. I, I guess if you've got nothing, though, if you've got nothing, you're going to try anything, right?
2: Actually, yeah, credit for him trying to pull together something. <laughs> he's stood in court, his clients are not even there, and he's going, hey, no, no. He's run away. He can't get his HIV meds. He's very poorly. And it's all your fault. Oh, he went on to say there is no evidence that this was an act that was done maliciously. And once they did both know they were were infected, they stayed together.
1: How is that a defence? Yeah, that really isn't. Again, that's kind of victim blaming, isn't it? Well, hang on a minute. You know, this person said they contracted HIV and they chose to stay with him. So that's fine. It's like, no, no, no. Exactly.
2: The best bit for me is the thing he said next. He said the court is dealing with something that could become a powerful tool in the hands of disenchanted lovers. So basically, yeah, he's saying they've fallen out and HIV is being used to punish the defendant, seemingly forgetting that if a mark had disclosed to his partner and given him the choice of continuing to have unprotected sex, they wouldn't be a court case. But you're yep. absolutely right. Victim blaming now, saying you know he's a disenCHANTED lover and he's basically just trying to use Mark's HIV against him.
1: That's terrible, isn't it? It's also how you're never allowed to change your mind or view things differently. That's what I, I find bizarre. No, you've made this choice. Uh, you made your bed, lying it. It's how you're going to feel forever. There's yeah. never the notion that perhaps when the partner was diagnosed, he's in shock. He's looking for support. Mark's there. And then actually over time, maybe he, I don't know, speaks to a friend or someone else. And slowly you're like, "Ah, this isn't all right. This is not okay." You're allowed to relook at things. We're allowed to revisit things and feel differently. And the law seems to not, well, not the law, his (laughs) defence
2: barrister. It's like, no, not having that at all. You've you've decided this. You've got to go with it. So weird, isn't it? You think about domestic violence cases and imagine that that had gone to court in a similar vein, where the defence is, yes, he did hit her. Obviously, she's got the bruises to prove it. She chose to stay with him. So, you know, let's just drop the charges. Exactly. Exactly right. When you compare it to that, that's ridiculous. I know. And yet this is, yes, well, it is similar in a way, isn't it? That you're you're using the same kind of defence and and saying that, yeah, you know, he didn't disclose his HIV. They continued having unprotected sex. Partner caught it and, uh, well, he stayed with him, so yeah happy yeah. days.
1: well, he's like, no. so so why are we here? like my oh God,
2: I don't like any of the defense that he's come up with at all, nor do I been paid to do this
1: I know I defend. was just thinking that it wouldn't sit right would it.
2: no, I think I don't know whether to say it or not. I'm going to say it anyway. I think sometimes to be a defense lawyer, you have to kind of set your morals aside, don't you? Oh, definitely, and being I totally paid am- to defend this person i It's not a job for everyone, definitely not, and
1: I do understand that everyone is entitled to a defence. I totally get that. But
2: yes, I think it's that's a difficult road to take. Anyway, back to our Pink News article. So they said the court heard the couple have been together since 2003. Further into the relationship, James told his partner, cannot be named for legal reasons, that he had syphilis despite testing positive for HIV. Sexual relationship continues, partner becomes ill and discovered he had the HIV virus. James later admitted knowing he had the virus but denied any earlier knowledge of it. What does that even mean? Like saying, yeah, I know I'm positive, but I didn't know back then, even though the clinic had told me. Oh,
1: is that what he's trying to say? My first reaction was, is he trying to go down the path of, well, I knew I had HIV, but I had no idea of how it would be transmitted or passed on. So I didn't know if that was a defence that he was possibly going to go
2: for. It does sound like it, doesn't it? Yeah. he, He admits that he had the virus. Denied any n- earlier knowledge of it. <laughs> did he just say, "Oh, I'm in court, so and I've been charged with this"? So, yeah, yeah, I have got it, but didn't know back then.
1: Yeah, Ugh. I didn't know. It's very ambiguous as to what they mean with that. So, the partner
2: he did speak to pa- uh, reporters outside the courtroom, and he said, "I felt betrayed. The hospital didn't know what was wrong with me, and when I found out, the impact was huge. That must have been very scary, actually. If you're admitted to hospital with anything, it's quite traumatic for them not to understand." why he's not responding to treatment and then to have the HIV diagnosis is pretty harsh. Originally, we had protected sex, but Mark was keen to stop using condoms. I mean, no doubt what Mark did was malicious. It was just another weapon because he had pretty much tried everything else. I don't know what he means by that, but I think it's probably quite a turbulent relationship. Still no excuse for what he did. He went on to say, not speaking for the gay community, but I found the police to be completely naive about gay men and the kind of sex gay men have, which makes me wonder what line of questioning did the police take? Well, I can only imagine.
1: You know, I don't know if you've watched the um Stephen Port's or, or if you know any about that, about the documentaries, but you know, the guy who obviously met people on Grinder, gave them drugs, and it it took some of the young guys that had died, their mothers basically where I'm going with this is the police questioning was terrible and that wasn't that long ago yeah heavily criticized because they were men from the gay community I mean my god so even further back I mean that is not going to be good
2: that's interesting though because he's gone to the police and said that he's contracted HIV from from his partner from Mark why would they question him about the kind of sex they had
1: well, exactly. What does it matter? But it's all very odd. And again, I think I don't even know very bizarre line of questioning and, and where are they even going with
2: it? I know. I mean, I think it's very brave, isn't it, to go to the police in the first place. But to then be questioned about your, your sex life or the kind of sex gay men have, he says. I mean, well, do you know what? I'm going to butt in and talk about TVPS. Ready
1: for this, to do with the law. We say that, but actually we offer like a third party reporting service, don't we? So there are a lot of men that go cruising in our area. I'm sure in lots of areas, but we've got quite a popular site near us. And from time to time, you will get people that go down there that, I don't know, vandalise the cars or assault people in some cases, you know, all sorts can happen. The reason we set it up, people would not go to the police because of how they'd be treated, because they Mm. would basically be victim blamed. Why were you here? You shouldn't have been here. What were you doing? And then again, if you're married, are they going to send letters to your house? I mean, awful things. So people are in this position where they feel like because the police will treat them
2: that way, they cannot report. Little tangent for you there. No, it's very true. Yeah, you do wonder if the partner was in a similar position, don't you? Where the police are just really curious about what sort of sex do you have then? (laughs) Other than focusing on what's actually happened. I don't know if that's the case. But for for him to mention it, it's obviously very important to him and, and... He wants it highlighted. So the judge said in his summing up by his deceit and lies, Mark James kept us, kept his partner unaware of the risk. So remember, the Kanzani case focuses on lack of honesty rather than focusing on the complainant choosing to have unprotected sex. It's the same here. It's the deceit that determines guilt rather than the partner consenting to not using condoms. Good. on the right path. Well done. So in August 2006, Mark James was sentenced in absence to three years and four months. A warrant was issued for his arrest. So now he's a wanted man. Basically, he'd done, he pleaded guilty and then he'd done a runner. So they don't know where he is. Oh, wow. The police, give the police the credit. They do look for him. Uh, they have no luck in this country. Uh, so they broaden their search to Europe. They believe Mark might be in France. But I mean, France is massive. Yeah. It's like finding a needle in a haystack. And for three and a half years, they couldn't find him. Eventually, he turns up in Brighton. He's returned to the UK to access treatment for cancer, and he's picked up by the police at Sussex County Hospital. Two days later, he appears in court, uh, where 10 months are added to his original sentence for admitting to absconding bail, and off he goes to prison.
1: But again, though, so he's just basically given more time, but there's still no further um,
2: insight into why he did it, the intent. If there was intent, there's still no more closure for the partner. No, and no real understanding of kind of the motive for all of this. I wouldn't have thought. Which is exactly. Difficult. And if you don't know the motive, how do
1: you know someone might do the same thing again?
2: Wow, interesting you say that. So the court heard how James had fled to Narbonne in southwest France before sentencing and only returned in January because he needed urgent medical treatment. The judge who was sentencing him is the same judge that sentenced him originally. I bet he wasn't happy about that. Said your efforts to evade the consequences of your crime were such that neither the publicity nor the efforts of the police were to any effect. Until it suited you, you were at large. During those three and a half years, you represented a substantial risk of serious harm to the general public. Were you again to commit the shocking crime for which I sentenced you before? And that's a really good point. Mm. Because we don't know if whilst he was in France, he was having unprotected sex with people. That's true. He could have been, they could have been infected with HIV, but we'll never know. But he's out there, you know, tearing around France. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. You just don't know, do you? That's the difficulty again, because we really have no insight into why it happened. So how could we know
2: if it might reoccur? Exactly. OK, now, given that this was the first gay man to be sentenced, there, there, is, there was very little in the press. They have reported the facts, obviously, of the court case, the in court case, him absconding to France. But there's very little in terms of kind of public opinion or sensationalising, which is what some of our press do the best. And there are conflicted details, as we mentioned earlier. So there's um, a lack of detail about how his partner found out. And normally the press really focus on this. Mm. Don't they? They want to know um, exactly how somebody got HIV, and you know that tends to be what the focus is. And there wasn't in this case. You know, one paper said the partner found out through a mutual friend, another said it was because he reported Mark James for domestic violence. So you you just don't know kind of the the background, the full background to the case, and nor do we know why the press really weren't kind of taken with it. Did they just not think it was newsworthy? Because other cases that we featured were heavily, and cases that we're going to feature in the next couple of weeks, they were kind of a uh, heavy focus in the press about them. So it's strange that they didn't pick up on in this one. Maybe the UK just wasn't ready for a case like this because maybe, you know, the gap between sentencing and him going to prison didn't capture media attention. i will never know.
1: Perhaps, and sadly, I feel like there's almost, and this is just my own personal opinion, but I feel like perhaps also the papers looked at it, that undercurrent of judginess and victim blaming. I bet you the reason it wasn't covered as much is because it was in that same way, well, they were in a relationship. And he chose to stay. And it's like, you'll misunderstand this. I just feel like perhaps that's why this wasn't picked up as much. Ooh, it could be, couldn't it? Which is terrible, absolutely terrible. But we know how awfully the papers cover HIV. And so I feel like that's not sensationist enough. We're kind of being a bit judgy and we're victim blaming. And so this really isn't that interesting because, you know, this person chose to stay with them. They're in a relationship. Yeah, it just feels that way like I said it's just my opinion it just feels like perhaps that's
2: why okay so they weren't yes that would make sense they wouldn't it and then they are only interested when he does a runner and then it's like oh now he's a wanted man exactly that's kind of what they they focus on (gasps) press letting us down again well for the partner and he wanted to remain anonymous maybe it was a good thing but he's Mm -hmm. also raised some good points about how the police handled the case, about how he felt that really haven't got the media attention that that they deserve. Um, I've got a question as well.
1: And I don't know if you'll be able to answer this at all. So the case before, I've forgotten the guy's name. Konzani. Konzani. So Konzani got 10 years, didn't he? Yeah,
2: for three women. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Is it the 10 years because there were multiple victims? And in this case, there was only one victim, so that's why
2: the three years? That is really difficult to answer. So, they, you know, when courts sentence, they have the so judges um, and courts have sentencing guidelines and a range of sentences that can be used for different crimes. Okay, so there isn't just a set time frame when somebody can go to prison or someone can do community service. It will be you can sentence between, I don't know, three years and 10 years for this. And depending on the severity of the crime, mitigating factors, uh, all of those kind of things are taken into account. And then they pick somewhere in the range. But they have to back up what they've chosen as their sentence. You can't just say, oh, it's a hot day and I can't be bothered. I'm just going to go in the middle and do five years, for example. Right. Yeah. Um, however, I do think with Mark, I mean, the fact that it's only one person, obviously, they take that into account, whether the other case was three. But I do think the sentence is quite lenient, isn't it?
1: I'm not going to lie. That's how I felt when you said it, because because obviously we had talked about the other one that was 10 years. I was thinking it would be,
2: I mean, at least five. Yeah, but it, it isn't. And 10, year, um, 10 years, no, 10 months for um, absconding. That's quite lenient as well. Isn't it? And especially... In thinking that you you only serve, I'm right in saying you only serve half of your sentence,
1: right? If you're if you if you're on good behaviour. So again, really that and that extra is only five
2: months, and then the sentence is only a year and a half in itself. I know. So yeah, I think it's lenient for what he did compared to the previous case. I mean, don't forget the previous case involved a minor, so that would have ranked up the seriousness of, of it. Of but yeah, it shows there is a bit of a lack of consistency, as there often is when you've got a range of kind of sentencing options open to you. I'm sure his partner feels he should have got a lot more and I'm inclined to agree with him.
1: Yes, I do. I do. They're all so different, these cases. I mean, don't get me wrong, mm. I'm pleased that we're now in the right direction where it's not this whole issue with consent on the victim and, and it's, it's you know, their all on the responsibilities all put to them but yeah oh, I'm fascinated to see where we're going next will you tell us what we're doing next week just so because I'm just excited I won't look it up I promise I just want to know
2: well then uh, next week you'll have heard of the next one because it is probably the most famous case in the UK it's Daryl Rowe
1: oh I was hoping we were going to cover Daryl Rowe because I again I've only read like the sensationalist news stories I don't really know the ins and outs of the story, just the, the headlines. Because, again, I know he's a hairdresser because of those headlines. Yeah.
2: Yeah. OK, amazing. So, um, that's, yes, our most prominent case, I would say, in, in the UK. And so we're going to look at him in more detail next week. But for this week, that's it. Mark James, the first gay man to serve a prison sentence, eventually, for reckless transmission of HIV. So I guess he must be out now, wasn't he? I don't know.
1: Well, I suppose you don't know what else he's done or I don't know if he was the, who knows?
2: Who knows where he is and what he's doing? Hopefully he's changed his ways, come to terms with his HIV diagnosis, overcome his cancer diagnosis and is living a good, wholesome life, helping other people. Fingers crossed. (laughs) I like your optimism. I think my concerns for the partner, I hope he's managed to move on from this. I hope he's settled with someone who's lovely um, and is living his best life
1: yeah just a happy nice life and fair play for choosing to be anonymous I can understand that you don't want to be linked forever you want to be able to move on yeah absolutely him. so well, well thank you for another amazing crime episode can I tell you have you noticed that I talk less nonsense when we're doing these ones I'm so in yes. I'm so into it oh, oh
2: no. <laughs> my mind is like laser focused I'm right here with you you're right, you've leant forward in every single one We record these on Zoom, as everybody knows So most of the time I've just seen your nose and eyes Oh, oh yeah, look, because because well, I'm actually leaning like this But you can't see it so. You bob around quite a lot You're very still
0: I am, uh, yes I am
2: And I'm used to people bobbing about Because my youngest son is is very fidgety Doesn't ever sit still So I'm just used to, it's, it's just like talking to him <laughs>
1: Oh, good. I'm just like a child. Super. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Not able to focus for very long. Bobbing around. wants to get on to the next thing? Oh, no,
1: this. Honestly, you know, I love true crime. So for me, I'm all in. And I even brought some knowledge this week rather than just, you know, questioning your pronunciation or telling you tales of my mother.
2: True. Oh, we haven't mentioned Bernice. We haven't mentioned Sean. I haven't stumbled over too many words. I don't know. What Jimbo hasn't barked. Reese no. has not been a nightmare. Gracie hasn't been sick by your feet. This is all coming together. Dare I say it, I think we've turned a corner and we've actually become professional. Stop it. Don't tempt fate. I can't take it. Wow.
1: Next episode, it's going to fall apart. There'll be some sort of disaster that happens halfway through it. Oh, oh look look the
2: screen over. just went purple. Take a picture of this now. This is amazing so just to explain just as we
1: are congratulating ourselves on how I've just taken a picture of it on how professional and how much better we're getting and how Sarah's announcing it we've turned a corner her
2: screen I can actually cut this and put it out instantly turned purple just that like was the best timing and I swear I don't do anything I haven't touched anything <laughs> it just as soon as I said we're professional here oh, I am goodness. as Violet Beauregard Willy Wonka. honestly i'm gonna cut that
1: bit of video because that timing was beautiful <laughs> wow i think zoom listens to us how is it doing this it really does it doesn't like you does it for some reason it's like no not today no thank you
2: no it's <laughs> so weird i hope it doesn't do that in the trustee meeting Oh, fingers crossed.
1: No, I'm sure you'll be fine. I'm sure you'll be fine. But I do think this is our cue to end this episode, only because it was going so well. And then look look what's <laughs> happened. And then I just heard my dog growl. So I thought, oh, that's about
2: to kick off outside. Oh, no. Honestly, I think one of us is probably about to burst into flames. So you're right. Let's like <laughs> end now where we're on a, <laughs> a wedding street. Look at the state of this. This is madness. Right. I
1: can't wait to see you next week.
2: Thanks for listening to the HIV podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can now also follow us on Instagram and TikTok
1: at the HIV podcast for behind the scenes insights and videos.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80 percent less and similar brands.